I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is episode nine of Burn Down the Big Ten. Welcome back. I am George Eisner, as always, joined by my loyal co-host, Mr. Ben Jamin Gorin. Hello. How you doing this week, Ben? Oh, I'm having a good week. Having a really good week. Everything's good over here. You know, got to see in person Northwestern lose 20 rip against Iowa. I've finally rip. kind of recovered from that, feeling a little yeah. bit better after being sick after watching that for a couple of days. Yeah, but now I'm back I'd, to normal. I'm ready for another weekend of embarrassing Northwestern football. How are you? I, I I'm okay. I I felt bad when you texted me this weekend. I'm very I'm very mad at football today, and I, I didn't really <laughs> want to, you know, engage you too much after that. Given there were a lot a lot of good things that happened to all the Buckeyes on uh, Saturday, and uh, yeah, I mean the one thing I did have to bring up was that unbelievable Pat Fitzgerald story did we get confirmation on that that he was at the uh he was at the pep rally he led a crowd chant of let's go cats and then mm-hmm. said the crowd was more coachable than the team yeah that's real that happened that's a real thing that he did that's yeah. unbelievable that's a, that's mind-blowing to me yeah the bits just get worse and lamer and less interesting and more mean-spirited every week i'm excited to see where we can dig to this week well, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Northwestern has arguably the most intriguing game on the schedule this weekend, and we'll be sure to talk about that later on in the show. But it is, it is a relatively rough weekend for Big Ten football. I believe six teams are on by, including four or five of the the only ranked team in the Big Ten that plays this weekend is Michigan, and they're at Maryland, who just gave up fifty two points to Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, unless Michigan plays down to their ske- or um, their competition again, that probably isn't going to be very entertaining. But uh, we'll do a quick recap of everything that happened from this weekend, and then today we're obviously going to talk about uh, we'll debrief the Wisconsin-Ohio State game and uh, the storylines from that, as well as I will, I will shockingly, me, the Ohio State fan, be giving a little bit of praise to Michigan because, you wow. know what, they, they earned it this weekend. Big day. They did. They did, and uh, yeah, to my chagrin, Harbaugh, at least at least for right now, has not totally lost control of the program, at least it would seem. But give a quick recap. Illinois clobbered Purdue 24-6, to which was a little bit of a shock. Um, Illinois, you know, obviously was coming off of that big upset over Wisconsin. 
I'm sure people expected Purdue to score more than six. Um, but Illinois is now firmly, we're going to talk about them a little bit later, but it does look like that they're going to be in a good position to go to a bowl game, which is shocking. Yep. Rutgers, the Scarlet Knights, got that signature win over Ayo. a 5-2 and two Liberty squad. They won Boy, by 10 on. points, gave up 34, but put up 44. So not, not a total dumpster fire over there in New Jersey. Lots uh, of points. As Ben mentioned earlier, Iowa blank Northwestern twenty nothing in Evanston. Um, what a fun game! And, that game was great. Yeah, I I saw the one highlight um, of I don't know who it was for Iowa that broke about four tackles in the middle yep. of the field at once and then ran for uh, six. And I'm not quite well, sure yeah, what happened you know, after that. Northwestern got him in a tough. They they got Northwestern in a tough place. You know, the wide receiver was surrounded by six guys and in, in the arms of a safety. <laughs> Which is really where you're most dangerous as a wide receiver after the catch. So, uh, yeah, he took it 50 yards anyway. It's a good game. Rough. Indiana had what looks like it was a uh, barn burner of a game against Nebraska. They triumphed 38-31. I didn't watch. We're you know we're just regurgitating the scores here. I was I was so <laughs> happy about Ohio State's result. I didn't even bother paying attention to any of the games other than uh, Michigan Notre Dame. Fair enough. You know, we got to give Indiana at least a little bit of credit. Like, I'm sure we're not going to talk about them at all today. But 6-2, and two, with a backup quarterback playing like half of their games so far this year. It's not bad. No, they've they've definitely stepped up. And uh, it's doing I, – I think that they're low-key a big part of the reason why Ohio State's strength of schedule has been so good so far. Them and Cincinnati are both yep. – Indiana's not quite in the top 25, but if you look at the SP – Plus Probably rankings, they, they're they're really they're really close to each other. So props to Indiana pro program building season. You get a full season of health from Michael Penix next year. That's it's a team that I don't know if they're going to challenge the top half of the of the Big Ten East, but they can at least mix it up a little bit. Definitely, yeah. uh, sky's looking up. Or of course, the sky looks up. Things are looking up going forward in Bloomington. Uh, Minnesota blew the doors off Maryland, fifty-two to ten as Ben will tell you Minnesota continues to be the least impressive undefeated team in recent college right. football memory, although eh, 52s. 52-52. And uh, Penn State handled Michigan State pretty handily, 28-7. I don't think too many. There were a lot of people that were thinking that was going to be a more competitive game than it was. There were a lot of analysts that thought Michigan State was going to mix it. I don't think either of us really expected that one to be particularly close or much of a challenge for Penn State. and They... They went up early. No, I'm tired of believing in Michigan yeah. State. They keep proving me wrong week after week. So they're terrible until further yeah, absolutely. notice. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was about it for the games that we're not going to get to. So, obviously, let's begin with what was by far the biggest story in the Big Ten this past weekend, arguably college football, given that LSU-Auburn game was fairly close last week. Ohio State absolutely – kicking the teeth out of Wisconsin's mouth. Uh, It was a very bad weather game going in. When we recorded this, our our, uh, episode eight last week, I don't think either of us particularly expected um, the weather to be as bad as it was, but we did point out that if Ohio State was going to have to play the game on Wisconsin's terms, it was going to be somewhat ugly, or not ugly, but it was going to be a lot Mm -hmm. more challenging for Ohio State. And for the first I'd say 25 minutes of the game, that was definitely the case. Um, 
you know, they got late weather report, I think Thursday or Friday, that the whole Midwest was going to be consumed in this windy monsoonish <laughs> rainstorm that was going to really restrict visit was uh, yeah, visibility. Uh, I think they had 10 to 20 mile per hour winds at the stadium around noon. So not ideal throwing conditions by any means. And that certainly held up um, for throughout the day. And then more so at night as uh, Michigan and Notre Dame felt, and we'll get to them later. But uh, second half came around and Ohio State committed to running the ball against arguably the best run defense in the country. And I mean, they they took it to Wisconsin in ways that, frankly, I, I did not expect to see. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, Ben. Yeah, so I thought that the concern point for Ohio State coming out of the Northwestern game is that they let Northwestern move the ball a little bit inside the tackle and um, got pushed around a little bit when they were trying to run the ball inside the tackle box. And uh, that, yeah, that wasn't a problem on either side of the ball. Uh, I did say before, uh, during the last show, that Ohio State had the two best units in the Big Ten on offense and defense and maybe special teams too. Feeling pretty good about that. I think that this game proved me pretty unobject, pretty objectively correct uh, in that regard. And, you know, I think that there's just, it's really simple. It's that Ohio State's the best damn team in the Big Ten and probably the best team in the country today. So, you know, Wisconsin is still a pretty decent college football team. They do still do some pretty okay things, but, you know, they can't match up with Ohio State for an entire game. And the fact that they kept it close as long as they did is a credit to them. Uh, And then they lost by 31 because they're just very much not on Ohio State's level. No, and frankly, I I think the game should have been a shutout. Um, It and it would have been if it had it not been for you know my my favorite Buckeye of the last 30 years, Tough Borland, um, tripping over (laughs) tripping over his. fellow special teams player and uh, missing his assignment on the punt, which allowed it to be uh, tipped. And then uh, two plays later, I think Jack Cohn threw a pass that looked like it was going to be well short. And uh, Okuda and Sean Wade just got tangled up in their coverage and it ended up dropping right into a player running the outside post. And that was their only score of the game. If Borland doesn't miss his block on that punt there, it's a very realistic shot that Wisconsin doesn't score any points in this game. Uh, one thing I do, I did, I did expect Ohio state's run defense to hold up a little bit more than you did. They, um, you know, I was expecting them to stack the box for most of this game and they were able to get away with that with seven and eight man fronts a lot. Um, what, and I also expected Ohio state's offensive line to struggle a little bit and they did in pass protection. They did give up five sacks and for a great deal of that first half Ohio state was relying on pretty incredible third down conversions if they wanted to make any momentum on the field. What I did not expect was they were going to wear them down with the runs over the course of the game, the way they did to the point where in the fourth quarter, Wisconsin had was putting in eight man fronts and Ohio state was running with six blockers at the line of scrimmage and they were still ripping off a, big runs and touchdowns for J.K. Dobbins. I mean, it, it was just, if if you watch this game as an Ohio State fan, the, there's absolutely no reason for you to feel that Penn State or Michigan or Wisconsin in a rematch is going to be able to hang with the Ohio State running attack for a full 60 minutes. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is a depth thing. And I think you see this every once in a while when 
you know, a real top five team who has been getting blue chip recruits for 10 straight years and has just stocked the gills with talent. You just can't stay on the field with them for an entire game. You can keep it close for a little bit, but eventually the fact that you know their bench is just deeper, they can keep throwing guys at you, they can go longer than you can, it just grinds you down. I mean, Wisconsin just doesn't have the talent base that Ohio State has, and it's no surprise that in the second half, the, the will just isn't there. I mean, they're just beaten down. You see it all the time in this level. And the good news for Ohio State is, and I feel like I say this every single week, it'll be, you know, 13 games before they play a team that's on their talent level. They're just head and shoulders above what the rest of the Big Ten can throw at it. So it feels to me, like unless Ohio State is the team that wants to beat themselves, feels to me like they're going to have a lot of second halves like this second half. But they're going up against a team that is depleted, that's out of energy, and that J.K. Dobbins is going to eat up for lunch. Yep, I uh, I'm I'm really happy with what I've seen from Ryan Day because I think that last see I think the last two years there was a tendency under Urban Meyer to kind of over focus on the opponent a little bit and not really get back to what the identity of the team itself was. Um, you saw that in the Purdue game last year where Haskins had to throw for, I don't, I don't even know, Lord knows how many pass attempts. I, I'm pretty sure it was well over 50. Um, but there was a tendency to overfocus on the opponent instead of just worrying about what do we do best and can we make that work. And they were forced to have that moment of clarity. Um, you know, even even in the after the second half or after the second half started, rather. Um, after Wisconsin scored their first touchdown, their only touchdown in the game, rather, they said, best thing we do is run the ball, and maybe the best thing Wisconsin does is stop the ball, but if we're going to be the best team in the country, we've got to make a statement here that we're going to be able to move it whenever we want, and that's exactly what they did, and I, I'm I'm absolutely ecstatic for it. I mean, this this was a game that was designed for Wisconsin to make competitive, and they did for a little bit, but not for the length of time that they needed to, and eventually it just got all the way away from them. So this was big, big weekend for Ohio State. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the result, and it's, it's killing me that I have to sit through another bye week this weekend. So I... There's one thing I envy Northwestern in. It's that they get to play football this weekend. So at, at least you have that. Um, yeah, I'll trade with you. <laughs> yeah, well, you'll trade not watching them for a week. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that. <laughs> one of the big things that came out of this game was um, Chase Young had arguably the best game of his career against a, I don't think there's a much program that is an offensive lineman factory. And while Wisconsin didn't, I don't think Wisconsin necessarily respected Chase Young to the levels that they probably should have in this game. I mean, there were a lot of times they were just having tight ends try to get him on the edge. They would have, you know, they weren't throwing nearly as many double teams at him as they should have. But even when they did double him, it seemed like he was still able to get through on third downs and wreak havoc. And I believe he finished with four sacks, uh, five tackles for a loss, one of which came on a really impressive recovery on a screen pass behind the line and uh, two forced fumbles. So there's been – he's been gassed up as a Heisman candidate a little bit uh, this week. 
I think there's a path for him to get to New York. But before I get into, I want to talk about the specifics around the history of um, the Heisman voters sending defensive players to New York and how it's kind of a mixed bag and it's more about really narrative than statistics in there or anything. But do you think, Ben, as a somewhat neutral third party here, that Chase Young uh, should be, if he keeps on the pace that he is, um, in the award ceremony room at the end of the season? Oh, yeah, no question. I mean, should he be? Absolutely. Like, if the award, if the award is actually given to the best college football player in college football, yeah, Chase Young is without question one of the three best players in college football. He's probably one of the one best players in college football. And it reminds me a lot of when Indominus Sue was kind of getting some Heisman pub once upon a time when he was at Nebraska, when just no one could stop him. I mean, Chase Young is truly unblockable on this level. Like, you can put him into pretty much any NFL roster tomorrow, and he'd probably get a sack and a half at that level, too. I mean, he's just, he's just too good. He's too fast. He's too strong. He's got too many counters. He's super mature as a pass rusher for someone who is as young as he is. Yeah, he's the absolute best. The, the actual question is, you know, do the Heisman voters care? And, you know, the answer to that is who the hell knows. I think the fact that Jalen Hurts lost a game is going to be a help to Chase Young. I think the fact that, you know, you can also make an argument that Jalen Hurts is kind of a system quarterback, that's going to help. Um, Tua getting hurt, that'll help a lot. Justin Fields going 12 of 22 against Wisconsin, that'll help a lot. So it feels like recently a lot of the bounces are going his way, which is a good sign. But do I think that the national college football media is going to give it to a defensive end before they're going to give it to Joe Burrow? No. Chase Young won't win the Heisman, no matter how deserving he is. It would take a real sea change in terms of how the voters view this award for that to actually happen. I do think there's a path to him winning it, and I'll get to the path in a minute. But to your point, I would agree with you that I, I'm concerned about how much stock do the Heisman voters put in a defensive player that is primarily a pass rushing threat because the one defensive player that's ever won is Charles Woodson. And you go back and look at Woodson's stats from 97, and he, he didn't really do a whole lot on offense that merited him being in at the top of the race. Um, he was not nearly, I think a lot of people think back and think, oh, he was the best punt returner in the big 10 that season. And I think a lot of those people are confusing him with Desmond Howard. He was, you look at his stats and I believe he was top five in total punt return yards for that season for the big 10, but it wasn't anything spectacular. They didn't record a whole lot of stats, um, back then, but the main, def- the main defensive stats that Woodson had were that he had seven interceptions, but he didn't have any defensive touchdowns, and he had one uh, special teams return touchdown, I believe. But it wasn't anything that would particularly blow your socks off. And he beat Peyton Manning in his senior year at Tennessee for the Heisman. The, the player that really should have won the Heisman in 97 was Randy Moss. I mean, I know he was at Marshall, and they were playing a max schedule, but yeah. 96 receptions for 1,820 yards and 26 touchdowns. He was averaging almost two first downs every time he <laughs> caught the ball. I mean, the closest thing I think we've that, seen to that insane. is Michael Crabtree in his freshman year. 
and he didn't have nearly he didn't have yeah. as many touchdowns and was playing in frankly a much more video game-esque yep. system so it was easier for him to get those numbers i think but yeah i mean he beat out some big names on that list but it's you know they they tend to put a lot more value into interceptions i think that they do in sacks um the big thing with manti teo finishing second in 2012 to johnny manzel was he also had seven interceptions teo only had a sack and a half at the time of the um the ceremony well and you know he was at notre dame and he had a girlfriend that's still my my that was, like, that was my huge, favorite huge ESPN breaking news headline of all time. Breaking news: Manti Teo's girlfriend did not exist. I I, I will never <laughs> see anything like that again in my lifetime. I, I don't. I my brain didn't know Damn how to shame. process what I was reading when the news came out. Um, no, it was a great, was great moment in college football um, history. But yeah, he see, he was linebacker. He, he had. 55 solo tackles. I, I mean, I guess that's good. Jadavian Clowney had 40 that season, and he finished sixth. I, I don't think Chase Young has a ton of tackles himself that this year, so that might weigh on him a little bit. But here's the big thing that kind of blows my mind, is that the, the, the NCAA record holder for sacks in a season was Terrell Suggs in 2002. And he had 24 of them, which is incredible, and he he was fortunate. That was the first season, I think, that was a 14-game schedule. And Ohio State fans might remember that because that was the year they won the national championship, and they were also the first team in history to go 14-0. and um, But one of the advantages Suggs had that he was able to record that many sacks is he played more games than anybody had gotten in any previous attempt. But he made the most of it. He got 24. Unfortunately, I don't know how many fumbles he forced in the season, but he had 14 for his career, which would put him top five all time in college football history. So it's fair to assume that he got a decent amount of fumble, um, forced fumbles on those sacks. He did not finish in the top 10 for Heisman voting. I don't even think he got a single vote. And I mean, 24 sacks in a season, that's arguably one of the greatest accomplishments in the BCS era for a player. And if you're hoping that Chase Young is going to be able to break that record this year, it's very reasonable that he could. Uh, after the Wisconsin game, he's got 13 and a half, and the Buckeyes are going to play, you know, five more games at least, four more before the Heisman ceremony. And if they make the national championship game, they'll play six games, which would give him an equal amount of 14 that Terrell Suggs had. So I think the opportunity is definitely there for him to break that record. Um, he's not going to break it before the Heisman ceremony, but if he's on pace to break it, if he's already at 20 by the time the Buckeyes have won the Big Ten championship, I think there's an, a reasonable argument for him to be in New York. What would put him over the top is he has already five forced fumbles on the season, and the record is nine, which was Whitney Merciless at Illinois, I believe in 2011. If he is able to get to equal or break that record and he's in a position where he could potentially capture the two most significant pass rushing records in the same season I think that there's a very very legitimate case that he could end up winning the Heisman Trophy uh, particularly if Burrow falters down the stretch you know if if LSU loses to Alabama they're not going to have the opportunity to play in the SEC championship and i think that would also end up indirectly hurting his candidacy unfortunately obviously burrow's the biggest obstacle here but 
you know, now that I've told you that, do you think that if Chase Young is within striking distance of setting two college football records, that there's maybe a better shot of him winning this thing? I don't think it's a counting stat thing that's going to be the ter- the determining factor, no. I think the the number one reason why he ends up winning a Heisman is because, like you said, Joe Burrow falls away. Like, unless it's real video game shit, like unless it's just so off the map that no one's ever seen anything like it before, or unless there's, you know, a huge groundswell of publicity around him, it's it's just hard for me to envision them giving it to a de- defensive end over a quarterback. I guess. And, um, you know, he'll. I think that he'll have the opportunity. Um, you know, they're on bye this weekend, but they're going to play Maryland um, after they come out of the bye, who's awful. Oh, yeah. No, he'll pad his stats. And I think there's – I'd be shocked if he's not in New York. Like, at this point, it feels like he's a shoe-in to be in the final three. But – you know, first place votes, I don't know. There, There's a long way to go before the Heisman Trophy Award becomes an award that's actually to the best player in college football and isn't just to... I don't you know, expect the a publicity groundswell, to your point. I Frankly, I just don't expect it for any Ohio State player. And I think the fact that Ohio State was so discounted coming into this season and now they look like arguably the best team in college football is... Um, I mean, that kind of backs that point up. But again, with I, I think that the opportunity is going to be there for Chase to make a lot of noise, even against these two. They're they're going to have two, at least two games to end the regular season against really good teams. You know, Penn State looks like they're going to be a top five team by the time they end up playing Ohio State. They, I looked it up. Their offensive line has been one of the worst this year in terms of defending the quarterback on third down. They, they have one of the worst third down sack rates in the big in college football, and I expect Chase Young to make them pay for that dearly. And Michigan is not Michigan's better than they are at that, but they're still in below average in that respect. And I, I would think that he's going to be able to wreak havoc in that game as well. And then if they end up playing Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship, I mean Chase Young just had his best career game against them this past weekend so if he has three incredible dominating performances in a row against three premier flagship football programs uh in college football i think that there's a very legitimate case for him for him to be made that he could end up winning the heisman um but it's you know that's that's speculative at this point there's still a long way to go I wish the world for the guy. Uh, it's been so fun to watch him this year and see him develop from he, you know, you called him. I thought it was funny. You called him, you know, mature. Uh, Cause he, it, one of the problems that he had had as recently as last season was he, he would pick up some pretty stupid penalties and there were, you know, some signs of immaturity, mm-hmm. at least in previous seasons. But this year, I mean, it's, he's as locked in as ever. And he's, he's the predator. I mean, in hair in play style and everything, he's, he's <laughs> the predator. He's, he's just an unbelievable player. No one's better at what they do in college football than Chase. Yeah, I 100%. Okay. Uh, before we move on from this, are we, are we absolutely totally a hundred percent sure that Wisconsin's still going to win the big 10 West? Are you still completely not in favor of Minnesota? Cause I think Minnesota at, at this point, at least, they're probably going to lose to Penn State, but I mean, at this 
as of this recording, I believe that they are first in the Big West because of their conference schedule. Yeah, I'm sure Wisconsin's going to win. 100%. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Minnesota controls their own destiny. That's true. Uh, Wisconsin's yeah. better. I think Wisconsin's going to like – first of all, I think Penn State is going to embarrass Minnesota soon. Like I think that's going to be real eye-opening for a lot of people. It's still Wisconsin's to lose. Not There's no team in the Big Ten West. Like put Minnesota on the field against Ohio State, it's uglier than 38-7. I think that's I think that's probably true. I don't know if that's a fair judge of how they would do against Ohio State, but they no, certainly don't fair. have the same defensive level to at least hold Ohio State's offense in check for that long as Wisconsin does. Um, I'm not. I wonder where they. I, I know it's at the end of the season. I'm wondering where that game's being. It is at Minnesota, so I I. Doesn't matter. I think it kind of matters a little bit. Wisconsin hasn't been super great outside of their stadium this year, um, so they'll they'll certainly have other opportunities to prove that they can you know handle their shit outside of Camp Randall. But you know, it, it will we'll we'll see how they do. We'll see how they fare. But it um, you know, I think that they could very easily end up slipping up in that Minnesota game at the end of the year. Um, but I think I would have to agree with you. I still think that they'll probably bounce back from these two losses in a row. They'll get, they'll see where they went wrong. They'll get their mistakes cleaned up. They're still a team that knows exactly what they want to be. And against most of the teams in the Big Ten, they'll be able to choke the life out of them and run Jonathan Taylor out and uh, get all the the yards that they need to uh, squeeze out victories. So, well. I would expect them to hold Minnesota's offense in check uh, better in that respect, but I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see. I think I think Minnesota has a much better chance of wrapping this whole thing up now than they did two weeks ago, and that's you know go figure. I mean, Wisconsin just lost two games, but you know, I, I I'm not particularly impressed with Minnesota just like you are, but I I think that they're still a much better chance for them to end up in the big 10 championship than there was uh, before. But all right, that's, that's enough about Bucky and enough about the bucks. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here is in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's get to the other big story from this weekend, which was how Michigan got their groove back. Um, I've been very mean to them. They kind of deserve it. They always deserve it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I texted you about this Saturday night, and I still think it holds true. You know, as, as someone that's just an objective fan of the sport of football, it's really, really cool when you know a team has its pride on the line like that and their back is kind of against the wall and the conditions aren't great. I mean, they they were playing in a flat-out monsoon. I mean, the weather was bad during the day. It was at its, like, peak terrible at night. And players yeah. could have just said they don't want to be there. They could have bought into, you know, the, the 
rumors around Harbaugh that he was, you know, contacting his agent that doesn't actually exist to try to put some feelers out for an NFL job. And they could have just said, you know what, let Notre Dame roll over us. And they didn't do that on national TV with the whole world watching. Uh, they they had their best game of the season and they absolutely took the Irish out behind the woodshed. And I thought, you know, as an Ohio State fan that pained me and we'll bring that up in a sec. But I, as someone who likes football, it was very, very cool to watch that on Saturday night to see them perform in a moment where they absolutely had to for nothing more than the sake of their own pride. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've been waiting to see for Michigan all season. Like, this is the team take away a couple of Shea Patterson big throws that we would have expected to see because, again, they were playing in a monsoon. But this is the team we thought that we'd see. You know, a team with a really deep running back room who can punish you inside the tackle and off tackle. Haskins, Charbonnet, and Wilson all looked great in this game. And they made Ian Book look terrible. I mean, they completely swallowed Notre Dame's offense and you know, ultimately did just enough and everything else to maintain such a dominating advantage. This was, like you said, it's exactly what Michigan needed to get. They got a, definitely got a good break. The fact that Brian Kelly's nemesis of water <laughs> was present, water and rain, water and wind, which he hasn't seemed to figure out yet. Um, they got the break there. They took advantage of the break and just completely punked Notre Dame. I mean, this was absolutely one-ray traffic from the beginning to the end. And, you know, unsurprisingly, Michigan wasn't afraid to pour it on late. I mean, this probably wasn't a 31-point margin of victory, really. But, you know, when you're struggling, when you've got some bad vibes around the program, kicking the crap out of Notre Dame solves some problems. There's no question that they were going to pour it on as much as they could. Yeah, to your point about Brian Kelly, it's a great sign that uh, your your big time coach in a midwestern football program doesn't know how to coach in the elements. Uh, so that's yeah. yeah. I remember when he played in a literal hurricane against NC State. Oh wow! And threw the ball like thirty five times. Oh, you know times. what? I had, forgo- why, I had why forgotten about that game, but yeah, I remember turning that game on, uh, just checking in and just feeling for all the people that were playing in that game. I don't know what year that was. Was that when he was at – was that a Notre Dame game? I thought it maybe yeah, it was, it was a couple was years ago. Game. It was a literal hurricane yeah. in Carolina. And they just played God, through yeah, it. Yeah, that was – And he kept yeah. throwing that Deshaun Kaiser, I think, was in that game. Oh. Yes, that was the oh, Kaiser team. Oh, my goodness. What are you doing, Brian Kelly? Well, to your other point, though, about Michigan, I think that if you had probably one big thing to criticize about their performances earlier in the year, it was they couldn't hold on to the football, but it was more about fumbles than interceptions. And interceptions, you can almost always trace to being a mistake by the quarterback or a great play by uh, someone on defense that, you know, reads the assignment or a receiver has a miscommunication with the quarterback and makes the wrong break on the route, or the timing isn't wrong. Interceptions are very rarely lucky. You know, they might get deflected and someone, you know, like that one Okuda had against Nebraska where he was, you know, he caught it in the seat of his pants. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, fumbles, I mean, it, it's a lot of times just something that sheerly happens out of chance. I, I, you would think that at this division one level running backs are usually pretty good about being able to hang on to the ball and, you know, keep, keep yep. a hand on it. But 
Yeah, I mean, statistically, you know, 51, 50% of fumbles are recovered. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. that's And, I mean, you know, you get a defensive player that gets their helmet in the right place on the play, and it just it pops the ball out. And it seems like in the early stages of this season, Michigan had a lot of bad luck with that. Um, there were certainly some that you could trace that were self-inflicted, but oftentimes those are a lot easier to clean up than decisions a quarterback makes that – he throws the ball and ends up giving it to the other team. So their problems with turnovers were definitely more of the fumbling variety. And it would at least seem from this game that they got them cleaned up. So they, they certainly look more impressive than they did to start the year. And uh, they're, you know, I, I'm, I give them credit. They, they, you know, Harbaugh has not totally lost the ship yet, but you know, we'll, We'll see if that's still true on December 1st after the Ohio State game. However, um, right. as for this game, it's not. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, in general, like, don't get carried away with Michigan's performance, right? Like, they're still the very plagued team that has the same set of problems that they did going into this game. But, you know, they, they brought it on this night. And the question is, is this the real Michigan team? Can they do this? every game for the rest of the season and every other game except for this one seems to tell you that no they probably can't do that but you know all credit i mean this is definitely a team that could have laid down it's a team that some people thought would lay down and they didn't and they fought out a really really good win in really crappy conditions i mean that's that's one to put on your mantelpiece if you're Jim Harbaugh. I think so. Well, it definitely is because I think this was his only his second win against a top 10 team in his entire tenure here. So it's not like that mantle yeah, is necessarily crowded per se. But I think that if you want to be impressed by this win as a Michigan fan, you can be. Um, obviously, any game where you have you know both of your running backs carry the ball at least 15 times and put up nearly 75 yards each, and I think – Asan Haskins had close to 150. So between the two of them, they had like 35 carries for almost 225 rushing yards. That's that's a pretty good day at the office. But the thing I will say about the rushing attack is that, especially in the first half of this game, it really did not look like, you know, you said Brian Kelly's arch nemesis is water. I, I think that might be true for the entire Notre Dame team because their defense on yeah. read options and on running plays was so bad and so delayed. It really did not look like they wanted to be out there at all. Michigan, it looked like there was no place in the world they would rather be. They Those guys were having the time of their lives, and I think that's part of the reason why Harbaugh wanted to run it up the way that he did was because – this was the first time this year where it looked like Michigan was having fun playing football. You definitely couldn't say that mm-hmm. about Notre Dame. They had a miserable night, Ian Book in particular. Um, but, yeah, the I think the defense played about as we expected to. Um, I've seen a disturbing lack of quarterback spies from defenses across college football this year, which I'm not really sure why that's the case. But they were spying Ian Book a lot. They weren't going to let him, you know, scramble for those easy first downs that is, as he has in a lot of his other games. I would expect that to continue when Michigan plays mobile quarterbacks, including Justin Fields, which could spell trouble for the Buckeyes. The other big thing that I think you can take away from this game if you're a Michigan fan is the the problem that the passing attack has had all year is, you know, they have all these players that are jump ball threats on the outside. You got Nico Collins, Donovan People Jones. 
they haven't really had a, kind of a slot route running maven necessarily and they might have finally found one in Mike Sane uh Mike Sane Ristil trying to say that name right he was their leading receiver coming out sure. of this or coming out of this game granted you know you didn't have to do much to lead in receiving in a game where Shea Patterson only completes six passes but he caught half of Shea Patterson's completions and he turned him into 73 he had almost three quarters of Michigan's um, passing yards from their starting quarterback in this game. So they, if they keep going to Saner still, um, and they've got those two guys on the outside now, now you have threats over the shallow parts and the back middle of the field to complement those jump balls you want to give to Peoples, Jones, and Collins on the outside. You have a two-headed threat at running back now starting to seem like things are coming together on offense. You can at least see the path there now that you've had that big game from Sainer still, as opposed to last week when you had a good game um, against Penn State with Ronnie Bell, but he ends up dropping that touchdown that could have made it an overtime game. So I i don't know if you feel the same Yeah, way. I mean, the issue is did it come yeah. too late? And I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah. So I think – you know, there's there's good takeaways if you're Michigan, but at the same time, I think that Notre Dame was a team that looked like they quit fairly early on in this game. And, you know, I'm sure the players will probably tell you different, but, I mean, shit, I wouldn't want to play in a game like that. It's nighttime, you got 107,000 yeah. Michiganites yelling at you and you can't see 10 feet in front of you because the rain is coming down as hard as it. I mean, they might as well – Brian Kelly might as well have been Sounds playing fun. in another hurricane. It's, it's not exactly it's, it's not a fun environment to be in unless you're winning and then it's the best place in the world to be in because you're just picking on the other team so um i'm i'm relative i wouldn't afraid is too strong of a word i would i was not concerned about michigan prior to this game as an ohio state fan and now i am concerned do you think my concern is justified no no. No, Ohio's, I mean, the only team that can beat Ohio State is Ohio State until they play in the college football playoff. Ohio State brings their B-plus game, they'll beat Michigan mercilessly. Like, it won't be close. I'm, I'm shocked to hear that. I mean, it's a huge rivalry game. It's in Ann Arbor, and it's not like Michigan has any particularly difficult looming challenges ahead. I think they play um, after this week. They'll play. Yeah, no, their their toughest games have already happened. But like, if you're a turnover prone quarterback and you have to go up against Chase Young, does that sound like fun to you? Especially a quarterback who struggles to hold on to the football. Strikes me as a bad matchup for Michigan. It does. Um, But I I'm just looking at it from the perspective of I think that they're going to be able to defend Ohio State very well, and I think that. They don't necessarily have any other games that they need to look forward to at this point. You know, they'll they'll play Michigan State, and that's a big in-state rivalry game for them. But, you know, we, we've lamented Michigan State's problems plenty throughout this season, and they certainly proved that they're not going to be, you know, intimidating to any team that can run even some semblance of offense against them. I mean, it's – there's – they, I don't think that they have a single thing left that they need to worry about other than beating Ohio State. And conversely, Ohio State has to worry about getting through Penn State. And then, they're, so they're not just going to have as much 
time to mentally dedicate to preparing for that game, I think, as Michigan will. Um, it's I think it's going to be more challenging than that. I think if Ohio State plays a B-plus game in Ann Arbor, frankly, they'll lose. I think that they need to play a, a much closer game to what they did against Wisconsin. I expect them to be able to run the ball as they have, but if they end up, you know, relinquishing and or not relinquishing, if they end up conceding an early lead and they have to play from behind a little bit, that could end up spelling a lot of trouble for them. And if they end up in another wacky elements game a month from now, I mean, who knows what could happen? So I I'm concerned. Michigan has life. They're off the mat. And that, you know, it scares me a little bit. It's certainly not as a much of a walkover game as it was last week. No, that's true. I mean, they're trending in the right direction. But uh, it feels very similar with, like, a different color shader on it as Wisconsin. It's a good defense. It's a very good defense. They have some things that they can do well offensively. But... 60 minutes to go up against Ohio State, Michigan doesn't have it. Like, unless this team really grows up in the next couple of weeks, which could happen, I mean, it's still a first-year offensive coordinator. It's still a team that's probably gearing up. So maybe it looks different in a couple of weeks. But just like against Wisconsin, Ohio State has the best two units on the field. They've got a much better offense, a much better offense, and a much better defense. Like, I... Yes, you need to be worried about every game that you play. Yes, Michigan's going to be geared up to this game because they really, really, really want to beat Ohio State. But if Ohio State does what Ohio State needs to do, Michigan can't get up to their level. Ohio State can come down to Michigan's level. Michigan can't match Ohio State. All right. Well, that that makes me feel a little better. So thank you for saying that, Ben. Um, Okay. If you stuck around, we sincerely appreciate it because if you actually have had an opportunity to look at the Big Ten slate this weekend, it's uh, arguably – I I don't even think it's arguable. It is the worst one of the season. Um, As I said at the top of the show, six of the 14 teams of the Big Ten are on bye this week. I believe five of those are ranked. Um, The only ranked team that's playing is, is Michigan, and they're playing at Maryland who, other than Rutgers, is probably the worst team in the Big Ten. Um, ben might tell you it's Northwestern. Yeah, but... you're giving Northwestern a lot of credit there. Hey, you know what? Well, hey, they, can... they it, it only takes one win over Indiana to right the ship. So oh, we'll, for sure. We'll, well, we'll talk about that one last because it is the night game. But the first game of the weekend is a nooner on Fox, uh, Nebraska at Purdue. And uh, I think this is fair to say this, the loser of this game gets the title of the most disappointing team in the Big Ten West this season. Would you agree with that? Depends on how you view Northwestern, ultimately. Like, Northwestern, if they're about to be 1-7, and seven, and they probably will be, that's probably more disappointing than Purdue. Because Purdue's just hurt. Like, if you told me anyone at the beginning of the year like oh Purdue Elijah Sindelar is going to be hurt pretty much all year and you get none of Rondale Moore people probably would have realized like oh that team's going to struggle but Nebraska just continues to just be an embarrassment I mean losing at home against Indiana yeah Indiana's a good team this year but that's not a game you can lose you just keep waiting for it to happen with them I'm still not ready to say that Scott Frost is not going to figure it out 
but he's not going to figure it out this year. I mean, that's a really, really bad year that they're putting together right now. And they don't have an excuse. You know, Purdue's hurt. Northwestern's got weird stuff going on. Nebraska is exactly the team that everyone thought they would be. And here they are, being terrible. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, I expected them to disappoint. Um, I frankly expected Purdue to be better than they have been. And, you know, to your point, they, they have been banged up, and that definitely doesn't make things easy uh, for any team. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, the reason I'm asking is this most disappointing Big West team really, I guess, is because of Nebraska. And I'm wondering if Nebraska does have a legitimate shot at losing this game on the road to Purdue. Um I would think that they probably pick up a win here uh, just because if this does end up being a shootout, if Purdue was healthy, you, you'd like their odds in a shootout, I think, at home. But I guess if Sindelar is out and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, Nebraska's it's got health much. problems. That's going to be a determining factor here. You know, Adrian Martinez missed the last game and then Vedril got knocked out. Then they played their third-string quarterback, who's another McCaffrey it's like the eighth one who's come through college football. <laughs> uh, and unsurprisingly, he didn't do so well. So, you know, if Martinez is back, yeah, I'd probably make Nebraska a favorite. If it's a federal starting, eh, I don't know. And if both of those guys are still, like, actually hurt, you know, then it's produced to lose. Right. But, yeah, that's that's going to be probably the number one story in this game is what's the quarterback situation looking like for Nebraska. Yeah. Well, if that nooner doesn't do it for you, there's another one on ABC, and that would be Michigan at Maryland. Um, you know, I think we both expect Maryland to get their doors blown off, but yep. they're playing at home. Um, and I guess one question we can ask is the the theme with Michigan this year has been that they play to their level of competition, uh, not necessarily against Middle Tennessee State, but definitely against Army. And uh, pretty much in every game after that, um, they didn't quite match Wisconsin, I don't think. That was fairly embarrassing. But they did play up to standard against Penn State, I believe. And then they obviously matched and then eventually way surpassed Notre Dame this past weekend. Um, But they also looked like they were going to rout Illinois, and then they let Illinois come almost all the way back. Um, do you think there's any shot that Michigan plays to their level of competition and at least gives Maryland a shot in this game? Well, you know, there's still parts of the Maryland experience that I'm interested by. Like, I still really love their running back room. But, no, Maryland's Maryland's going to be a heavy, heavy underdog in this game. Michigan really should win. But, you know, as, as with anything in college football, we've certainly seen stranger things. You know, Illinois against Wisconsin rings a bell. Like, if Maryland can get both of those guys going and can get something other than just embarrassment from the quarterback spot, meh, there's maybe something to all of this. Uh, but, I mean, I wouldn't put the chances much higher than 10%. I mean, this is Michigan's game, pretty simply. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think they continue the good momentum from last. I think there's too many positives that came out of the last game for them to not see this is – the trend we need to be going in. This is what we need to be focusing on. And yeah, I mean, Maryland's defense has been a sieve. I mean, to the point of Michigan, you know, their offense finally getting right. This is a really, really great opportunity they have to kind of test drive the things that they want to do on offense. Now that they really have an idea of where they want to get the ball going um, in the wake of that Notre Dame game. I mean, 
you know, it's it's such a bad defense that they're going to be able to say this is exactly who we want to get the ball to and who we want to focus on developing in this game. I think they get a lot of points. And yeah, I mean, unless the defense just completely falls over itself, which isn't likely, particularly if Maryland's going to have to rely on running the ball to keep the game competitive. I don't I I expect Michigan to look very impressive this week, uh, even though it's against an opponent that isn't necessarily impressive. The one that we loved early on in the season. And uh, yeah, that kind of blew up in our face. Um, All right. You weren't totally sold on Illinois bowling and then they beat Purdue 24 to six. Yeah. And now they'll host Rutgers this week. And even though Rutgers is fresh off that Liberty victory, they're uh, they're, yeah, they're still terrible. So assuming Illinois runs Rutgers out of champagne, uh, do you think that Illinois is going to bowl? Because after this week, they will be at Michigan state. Um, I believe they are on by for the week of November 16th. Yep. And, and at uh, Iowa and then home against Northwestern. Right. So that Northwestern game, that's, uh, it's the battle for the Lincoln hat, formerly it the is. sweet Sue Tomahawk and LOL you know, trophy. Yeah, exactly. So let's let, so let's assume for, I, I think that you're probably thinking Northwestern is going to lose that game. We don't have to preview that. It's pretty far off, but do you think that they're, they have a shot in either of those other two games that they're going to play and that they could end up clinching their bowl game earlier than November 30th? Yeah. So, you know, currently SP plus has them at a 66% chance to get to bowl eligibility this year, which is awfully good. That's you know, it's way north of 50%. And yeah, I think it's fair to give them the Rutgers game. They're going to win that game. So cool, you're setting a five. Michigan State still got serious problems. I mean, they're a bad version of Wisconsin, right? And Illinois beat that team. You know, that's going to be their shot. If they're going to get one before Northwestern, it's going to be that one. But yeah, it feels like at this point, Illinois, they've certainly done everything they can possibly do aside from starting not terribly to get into a bowl. And Beyond me, how, but Lovey Smith probably deserves a lot of credit for that. I and mean, he's done a great turnaround job in the middle of the season. I I think they will get to a bowl. It seems like a six-win team at this point. You know, obviously there are the standard injury caveats and all that fun stuff. But, you know, they, they still do things well. I wouldn't say they do anything great, but they're a very good running team. Uh, that probably won't play super well against Michigan State. But it strikes me as slightly better than a coin flip. And I think that basically I think Michigan State and Northwestern are coin flip games. And that means odds are you're going to take one of them. It means odds are you're going to get six. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Good work. I feel I feel good about them beating Michigan State. I, I would I, I if if for nothing else, then Illinois seems to be trending up very quickly and Michigan State seems to be trending down very quickly. And I think that when you have two teams that meet under those circumstances, you you have to favor no even with the talent gap you have to think that Illinois is going to be able to pull that one out um you know the offense is finally starting to come together Michigan State's offense isn't even close to figuring out what they want to do or how to do it correctly you know the defense is the defense it is what it is but you I I think you hit the nail on the head they beat a better version of Michigan State already granted they got to do it at home Michigan State will be hosting them in East Lansing that could prove to be a big difference but um 
yeah, I think there's a very good shot here for Illinois to take these next two games, and uh, that would that'd be good enough for a bowl regardless of what happens against Northwestern. And speaking of Northwestern, uh, that takes us to our final game of the weekend. Arguably the best game beyond uh, FS1, 7 o'clock. Northwestern at Indiana. Um I think I should probably let you take the wheel on this one, but Mr. Pat Fitzgerald has been kind of popping a few screws loose of late. Um, I saw an incredible statistic today on Twitter. I think it was from a quote tweet you did actually that said uh, Northwestern's pass efficiency rating is 20 points worse than the 129th team in college football right now, Old Dominion and that I think it's on pace to be the worst in the last decade other than Army a few years ago, who threw the ball 65 times the season they posted the worst rating. So this is an historically awful passing offense. Pat's kind of going a little crazy. Uh, do, do you think Northwestern has any chance of salvaging this? Season or game? Just let's just. Uh, general, I think I know life. what your answer for the season is. Let's just keep it to Indiana right now. <laughs> Gosh, man, it's uh, it's hard to put into words how bad it is. By the way, I'm going to be at this game. I'm going to Bloomington to subject myself to this. Oh, because wow. I've got a problem. You didn't go to the Ohio State game, but you went to Iowa and you went to Bloom, and you're going to Bloomington for this. Yeah, I'm very normal. <laughs> Extremely so. Yeah, no, Northwestern's like fucked. <laughs> like, there's I'm no sorry. hope. It's just going to keep getting worse. It's it's just, it's unsalvageable. They'll lose this game. Because, you know, you do have to score more than three points to win a football game. Northwestern has no prayer at doing that ever again. And, you know, period. It's just, it's all, it's all, it's all gone. There's just nothing left to play for. It feels like on some sick level, like Pat Fitzgerald's pretty proud of himself for what he's doing this year. Like he's found a way to like turn his hatred of technology in the future and make that into an offensive strategy, which is very cool. It's just it's unwatchable, it's unsalvageable, it's never gonna be good. It's oh god. I mean do I think that they could win this game? Sure. Because I think they probably have the best unit on the field in this game. Northwestern's defense is gonna be better than anything else on the field in this game. But that offense is so far beyond the pale terrible with no hope of getting better. So, yeah, feels like Indiana is going to win. And then Northwestern would have to win out to make a bowl game. That's not happening either. I so, do. Even, even though I think this is the best game of this week, I do expect it to be fairly low scoring. Indiana's defense, I think, is a little bit better than most people give them credit for. Yeah, they, so, like, you know, clarify what you mean by best because it might be the most – close like the final score could be closer but in terms of best football game this will be the worst football game (laughs) there's going to be nothing about this that's good other than the fact that it might be a one possession game in the second half i mean best in terms of competitive um because i expect illinois to blow the doors off of rutgers as every other big 10 team has this year i expect michigan to blow the doors off maryland and, you know, to the point you made earlier, if Adrian Martinez plays for Nebraska, I think Nebraska probably runs away with that. Um, so in terms of the game being, I guess, the standard for this week is how palatable is the football? 
how long can I watch this game without my stomach turning in a knot and me Two questioning points. why I dedicated my November 2nd Saturday to watching a Big Ten football weekend that features one ranked team playing. Um, I think Northwestern Indiana has probably the best potential to be competitive. Indiana's pass rush this year has actually been low-key pretty impressive by national standards. And I think that that's probably going to give Northwestern a lot of trouble on offense. Um, you know, more than the trouble that they, you know, seem to keep getting in their trouble own, right? on offense playing against an empty field. Right. Like you don't need uh, to have a defense to put Northwestern in uncomfortable positions on offense. I put understand. them up against but, tackling dummies. They'll still turn it over three times. But we know Northwestern's defense is good. They should at least keep Indiana from exploding. And I think that that will at least make the, the, the football competitive and you know what? It's not always pretty, but competitive football is better than blowout football. It just is. When you're watching a game Agree where the to disagree. become low. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, it's easier for me to say that in a game where I don't really have any any stake in the team watching. But, you know, I, I, I and you're and you're going to it too. So I'm sure you would rather see numbers get racked up oh, than yeah, anything else. Saturday but. night in Bloomington. Electric FS1. Would it on it? Are you are you that into like the the shame fetishization of Northwestern that you would rather see them get blown out in person than see them play like a thirteen to ten competitive game? Oh man! Like I want to see the ball move down the field. That's what I want to see. I, I sat through the Iowa game until the final whistle. Oh, it was my. some of the worst I have ever seen in my life. It's just I want to see some team with some idea of how to move a football in 2019. That's what I would like to see. I don't care which team it is. Okay. I can, I can sympathize with that. <laughs> At the same time, I, yeah, I'd, I'd rather see a game that's competitive for both sides than, you know, just one team blow the doors off the other, which, I mean, if one team's going to do it to the other, it's definitely going to be Indiana. That's it's not right. like we're expecting Northwestern to figure it out this week, but yeah it's it's been to say it's been a rough year for y'all has been an understatement man Boy, I, sure do, I do sympathize with you so all right well i don't think we have any upset predictions this week uh that pretty much covers everything for this week yeah watch a different um, conference this week take in the <laughs> wide world of college football watch a mac game yeah oh come on don't go that far but you know it uh <laughs> You know, don't be afraid to dip your toes in some other networks and uh, and conferences this week if necessary. Uh, Pac-12 after dark is usually pretty good if you can stay up that late. Although I think uh, I think it was 11:30 on Saturday before that Oregon Washington State game actually went to halftime. The last four minutes of the first half lasted 30 minutes in real time. Oh yeah. So that uh, you know, you might, you might have to stuff. stay up to the early hours of Sunday if you want to get some nice Pac-12 after dark action. But in any event, this has been episode nine of Burn Down the Big Ten. We want to thank you very much for listening to the end. Uh, next week, we should have a fun show for you in many respects. Uh, we were a little bit caught off guard today by the news that uh, the NCAA is going to let players benefit off their likeness. So we'll have a <laughs> fun wrinkle on the show next week in relation to that and the impending return of NCAA football hopefully. Uh, and we're also going to get our first college football playoff rankings next week. So even though I don't think there's going to be too much to debrief from this weekend, 
still have plenty to talk about next week. And uh, we've got five ranked teams playing that we'll be able to uh, preview matchups for. So that being said, I'm George Eisner. And uh, for Ben Gorin, thank you very much for listening to Burntown the Big Ten. We'll see you next week. Take care, folks.